0: Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. It's Makeover Monday. As always, Rob and I are going to be investigating a topic of roster-building interest for the Seahawks, how they can improve their roster during this offseason. That could be free agency, the draft, trades, you name it. Looking forward to that as always. And we're going to dish out some thoughts on some offensive standouts from last week's Senior Bowl as we move forward with the Combine now coming up next in the pre-draft Process. This episode is brought your way by Get Upside. Make sure to download the free Get Upside app and use the promo code Touchdown to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now, without further ado, for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks, we had to wait an entire weekend to talk about this, Rob. But the Seahawks have a new defensive coordinator, Clint Hurt, being elevated from defensive line coach up to defensive coordinator. This will be the first time at any level that Clint Hurt has been a defensive coordinator. But really, this is not that surprising of a move when you consider Pete Carroll's history of typically picking coaches that are already on his staff to replace defensive coordinators that leave or are fired. And also given the fact that Clint Hurt was mentioned as a favorite immediately after Ken Norton Jr. was fired last month. So all along, this seemed like a strong possibility. The good news is they've also brought in Ed Donatel as a senior defensive consultant along with Clint Hurt. So a veteran, a seasoned defensive coordinator that's been in multiple schemes, has a passing game background, that Clint Hurt can lean on as he adjusts to this new position.
1: Yeah, an awful lot of experience there, as you mentioned, with Ed Donatel. Um, the fact that he is coming from a Denver Broncos squad that was one of the league's best, um, going up against some of the best uh, quarterbacks, of course, in, in all of the NFL, in the AFC West. Um, and um, and it really does fit in well with, with Pete Carroll. you know Donatelle and Pete Carroll worked previously together. They stayed close all these years and and so a great deal of experience for Clint hurt to be able to lean on. Um, so I like that pairing. and as you said it is, no surprise that uh, that the Seahawks just basically promoted uh, Clint Hurt to that position. I mean, he of course had been listed as an assistant head coach, even when he was Seattle's positional coach. Um, So I I think that that had something to do with it as well. This has been something that's basically been in the works for a while now. And I think that a a big reason for that Corbin is just that when you see the way that Clint Hurt uh, identifies with his players and reacts with them, that he's very popular in, in the locker room. He is a, a kind of a jovial guy. He is a, a personable guy, charismatic. Uh, his players love him. They play hard for him. Um, and, and he's also a, a very intelligent guy. So to me, this is a, I think there's going to be some Seahawks fans out there who are going to say, hey, the defensive line wasn't that good. How does this guy get a promotion? If you see the way that Clint Hurt works with his young players and the way that they respect him, um, then I think that this was a a move that was not only predictable, it's one that makes an awful lot of sense for the Seahawks and one that I think that they're ultimately going to be very, very pleased with.
0: He does have an incredible rapport with his players. You and I have both been at training camp practices and seeing how hard guys play for him, newcomers when they come in. Robert Condice a year ago all the question marks about his work ethic. You never had to question that on the practice field in Seattle because he wanted to play hard for Clint Hurt. So he does have that report of players. He's respected in the building by the coaching staff. Pete Carroll thinks the hell out of him. So I'm not surprised at all. Again, when Kendor Jr. was first fired, I was told the front runner was Clint Hurt. And I know a lot of fans out there wanted a hiring from the outside, something that Pete Carroll has not done at the defensive coordinator spot when they've had transition there during his time in Seattle. But this is really ultimately what I expected. But they also did something else that I anticipated they were going to do, bringing somebody in from the outside that does have defensive coordinator experience, that does have that passing background. And Sean Desai still might be coming, too. From what I was told today, Desai has interviewed with the Giants. He interviewed with the Raiders. The Raiders have already picked their defensive coordinator. The Giants have yet to make a selection there. But if the Giants pass up on Desai, the former Bears defensive coordinator and former secondary coach, then there's a strong possibility that he could end up choosing to go to Seattle for his next destination because he and Ed Donatel and Clint Hurt were all on the same coaching staff together for a couple of years with the Chicago Bears. So you got familiarity there. You'd be teaming up with Pete Carroll. Some might argue that's too many cooks in the same kitchen, but you got to remember that the Seahawks had Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn, Ken Norton Jr., Chris Richard, Pete Carroll, Marquand Manuel, all on the same staff at one point. And I think that that defense did okay with all those coaches there. And so I wouldn't be worried about that because these guys have worked together. And again, Desai has yet to be hired by the Seahawks. There hasn't been anything officially released on Hurt, but from everything I've been told, that decision has been made. So you know that Hurt's going to be there. You're going to have Ed Donatel as that older voice of reason that has coached secondaries for decades, one of the best secondary minds out there. I think that this has a chance to be a home run higher with the other assistants being added, especially if you can bring Sean Desai in. If you have that trio on your defensive coaching staff, that instantly is going to make this defense much better by default. And I'm expecting you to see some major schematic changes too. This is not going to be one of those cases. I know fans have been saying, oh no, Pete Carroll just hired another yes man or he hired two yes men because they're friends of his. Neither Clint Hurt nor Ed Donatel is a yes man. So you're not going to have to worry about that. They both come from different backgrounds. Donatel's been coaching at Vic Fangio's tree for the last decade. So you know he's going to bring some different viewpoints too. And I think that Pete Carroll wants to make some of those adjustments. We already saw more two-deep coverages last year. I think you could see even more of that now with Donatel. And if Desai comes on board, you're going to see some different wrinkles schematically, which Seahawk fans have been begging for.
1: And they have been begging for them I, I do think that you will see some uh you know some massaging basically uh of the principles that that Pete carroll has always relied on um you know throughout his time i don't think that you're going to see wholesale changes um and that's you know again if clint hurt is indeed um named as a defensive coordinator as we expect ed donatel following along and we'll see what sean decide i'd love to have a good young coach like him i think that always just adds uh you know to to your staff that would be be great, um, but at the same time, I think that we saw Seattle basically kind of stick their neck out a little bit last year with the hiring of Shane Waldron as the offensive coordinator. And and while I think that the offense started to hum down the stretch, it, it certainly struggled early on. Um, And so I think that that is all the more reason why Pete Carroll and John Schneider both were going to, you know, maybe stick a little bit closer to what they have always believed in and and some familiarity there. So if Sean Desai is allowed or or anybody else is brought in from afar this year, then I think that they would be playing more of that positional coach kind of a role. Um, And and then I think it's, uh, again, kudos to the Seahawks for sticking with what they already know, because this is a team that is built to win right now, coming off of a fourth place finish playing up against the the elite, uh, you know, uh, division in all of the NFL. And, and so I think that's the way that the Seahawks are, ta- are approaching this, Corbin, is that they want to have guys that are familiar so they can hit the ground running literally and figuratively, um, both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball this year.
0: Familiarity really matters on defense for Pete Carroll. He wants to have coaches around him that he has worked with. Or at least have, have been involved with him in the past. And so it would be a departure to bring in somebody like Sean Desai, who has never been on his staff. But you can guarantee that Clint Hurt and Ed Donatell, two coaches that he trusts tremendously, would vouch for him because they coached them for two years in Chicago. So there still is that element of familiarity. If that ends up happening, we'll see what happens here in coming days. Maybe Desai will end up being the Giants defensive coordinator. If so, that's a great hire for Brian Dable, the new head coach. But We'll just have to see what happens. For now, we know Clint Hurd and Ed Donatel will be coaching this defense. You're going to have a little bit of Vic Fangio action coming to this defense, which could mean some schematic wrinkles and some big differences coming up in the 2022 season. The Senior Bowl wrapped up on Saturday. The All-Star Showcase taking place in Mobile, Alabama. Rob and I broke down a lot of prospects last week. We're going to take a moment now that the entire week is over with. We're going to talk about some offensive prospects that we think scream Seahawks after watching the practices as well as the exhibition game on Saturday. In the past, by this time of year, I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right and work out daily thanks to Built Bar. And it almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them, particularly the Built Bar Puffs. I'm addicted. Have you tried these Puffs yet? If you haven't, you are missing out. I think it's one of the best Built Bar tasting bars out there. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, and they're not just a protein bar. They truly taste like a treat, covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite and one of my personal favorites. A lot of incredible flavors, such as coconut marshmallow and banana cream pie. These are going to become your new favorite. I guarantee it. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, including Puffs. That's right, 100% real chocolate, Low calorie, high protein, replace your candy bars. These are much better. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. You don't have to worry about that with built bars. Go to built.com and scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High protein, low calorie, high fiber and low carbs. Tons of great flavors from mint brownie to coconut almond. And new this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. All these flavors are delicious. At Built Bar, they are all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know how, but they manage to pull it off every time. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, makeover Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's officially Super Bowl week, and we've got the Locked On NFL podcast on the ground all week long, covering the upcoming game between the Bengals and Rams. So make sure to download on whatever major podcast platform that you use. Make sure to download the Locked On NFL podcast for this week. We've got the Senior Bowl to discuss here, Rob. Obviously, you were on the ground in Mobile. We got to talk about it some last week after the practices, and obviously the game took place on Saturday. Let's look at some players that are Seahawksy. make up some words today, that might have the traits or the physical tools or the mental makeup or all the above that Pete Carroll and John Schneider always are looking for. And you and I know and our listeners know the Senior Bowl has been a popular destination for Seahawks upcoming draft picks, especially in early rounds. A number of players like L.J. Collier, Rashad Penny, D. Eskridge a year ago starred at the Senior Bowl, and the Seahawks ended up drafting them. So there's a, a strong precedent there for the Seahawks to select players early who excelled in Mobile. We're going to talk offensive players today. Who's one player that jumped out to you this week that maybe you didn't know a ton about going into this process or just exceeded your expectations that might be a good fit for the Seahawks?
1: Uh, Well, I think one guy that uh, makes a lot of sense that maybe isn't getting or has not received a a lot of attention, but certainly should be getting that attention now. He was the best wide receiver on the field, in my opinion, and that'd be Christian Watson from North Dakota State University. I mean, this guy, 6'4", 211 pounds, and yet I expect him to run in the low 4'4". He's caught everything in his zip code all week long at the senior bowl, blocks downfield, has that chip on his shoulder that you might expect from a guy playing... At North Dakota State University. Um, you know, he really was a, a spectacular all around receiver um, on tape. And then, But you, everybody had the questions about a you know, level of competition and all that kind of stuff. Was was he just Trey Lance's guy previously? Well, that was certainly not the case. He proved it um, on tape this year. He proved it in Mobile this past week. He is a guy, I know that wide receiver obviously is one of Seattle's strongest positions, but at the same time, you have to plan for the future. And at 6'4", 211 pounds, there's not a lot of receivers on Seattle's roster other than DK Metcalf, of course, of course, who have great size. So to me, Christian Watt, Watson is one of those guys that you know if he was available at number 41 overall, and I say if because this guy's stock is absolutely skyrocketing, certainly if he was available a little bit later than that, he might be one of those kind of guys that forces you to look at a receiver a little bit earlier than expected.
0: This shouldn't surprise anyone who's listened to our podcast, but I'm going to start with a running back because... You know how it goes, Rob. If I see a running back that I fall in love with, uh, that's going to be number one on my list because it's the position I played, the position that I coached for a long time. And I saw Chris Carson blended with Thomas Rawls at the Senior Bowl this week. Not just the practices, but in the game on Saturday. And that's Abram Smith from Baylor. And I just love the story. This kid was a great running back in high school, but he was a linebacker his first three years at Baylor, and he started some games for the Bears, some pretty good defenses that he started games for, but he kind of fell back on the depth chart, and so they moved him to running back. He made that transition back to offense before his senior season, and all he did this year was rush for over 1,600 yards and 12 touchdowns, and He's got that pinball action that you see from running backs like Chris Carson where not necessarily that he's trucking guys all the time. He's capable. There's plenty of film showing him bull over guys, but he just bounces off of tacklers, a very strong lower body. He runs with a linebacker mentality, very physical, and maybe the one thing he's got that Chris Carson didn't coming out of Oklahoma State, he can hit home runs. Not Rashad Penny-style home run hitting, but he's got the ability to get to the second and third level and break off some big runs. And he did that for Baylor this year in the big 12 conference. He's a kid that I think, I don't know that I would say much higher than third round just because of the position and the number of needs the Seahawks have. But if you lose Rashad Penny in free agency, and he's not back with Chris Carson's future up in the air, Abram Smith is a player that absolutely would make a ton of sense for the Seahawks as early as the third round.
1: Uh, no i agree with you i mean he's one of my favorite players in this entire draft certainly among my favorite running backs the balance through contact is really one of the things that that just jumps off the film with him uh, especially as you mentioned the fact that he has made that that positional switch um you know since we're going to talk about running backs then i'm going to talk about one of the guys who should be again one of the most high profile players in the entire country and the fact that he played at alabama All the more reason why he did. But the fact that he had to play behind guys like Josh Jacobs, first round pick, Najee Harris, first round pick, Brian Robinson Jr., did not get as much playing time, um, as many carries as, as you might expect for a guy coming out of Alabama playing there five years. And so Brian Robinson, 6'2", 225 pounds, catches the ball very, very well, can lower his shoulder and play the physical game, also has the speed and the elusiveness that you're looking for. To me, he is very, very similar to Najee Harris, and he's not getting that first-round buzz. So he, to me, he is another guy who kind of screams Seahawks because of the fact that he is as versatile as he is and is as dependable as he is.
0: One of the most underrated positions in this draft class, I've reached this verdict here over the last few days as I've watched a lot more tape. This is a very underrated tight end class. And I think you could see that in Mobile. There are a number of really good tight ends that were in that senior upperclassman group. But the one that I'm really intrigued by just happened to have a big game on Saturday. And I try not to put too much stock in a glorified scrimmage. But Jake Ferguson had a really good week Coming out of Wisconsin, has good size, around six four and a half, two hundred and forty five 245 pounds. He is from Wisconsin, so you know he can inline block. You're not going to play for Wisconsin as a tight end if you can't inline block. So he's one of the better inline blockers in that position you're going to see in this draft class. And, oh, by the way, playing for an offense that struggled to move the ball a lot of the time and didn't throw the ball a lot, he had at least 30 catches in all four years that he played for the Badgers. A kid that I'm very intrigued to see what his stat line looks like at the combine, how he runs. You could see the fluidity on the field, though, this week, including in the game. Soft hands, the ability to run intermediate and deeper routes. Seattle's got two tight ends, and Gerald Everett and Will Disley set to hit free agency. And maybe they bring one or both back, but if they don't, this is a good tight end class. And Ferguson is one that I think would fit what Seattle would want in Shane Waldron's offense because he can do a little bit of everything.
1: He can, and you're absolutely right, Corbin. That that this tight end class is a very good one. Um, and, and the fact that Seattle does have the, the two free agents out there, I, I think that that's one of the ways that they might be able to, you know, stay young at the position. Um, you know, and, and so I there, there's a number of tight ends that we could be gushing about. Bellinger from San Diego State is another player that's kind of like i's that. Isaiah Likely I, is another one. Isaiah I really like. Likely. Exactly. I mean, he's the one who made the critical block on, on Sam Howell's touchdown that everybody's kind of talking about. Um, you know, so to me, he's another one. Um, that talk about a, a guy who can be a, a receiver um as well as, as a pretty quality blocker for a little bit smaller size. He's another one. But I, I talked about Zion Johnson, the, the, the guard turn center in Mobile a couple of days ago when, when I was there in Mobile, and, and I just have to kind of gush about him. I mean, this is a guy who a lot of people believe that he was the number one guard in the country Corbin but because he is a little bit less than 6'3 a lot of people believe that his best position in the NFL is going to be at center and rather than rest on his laurels this kid decided that he was going to make that transition. Um, it, it just Jim Nagy. We've had, had Jim on on our podcast the last couple of years after the draft. I mean, he was gushing about Zion Johnson on and off the field. Just said that he's not only a a first round player on the field, he is a first uh, first round caliber kind of guy off the field. If you talk about guys who scream Seahawks, Zion Johnson absolutely does. And that we've, I think we both would agree, has been the position of concern the most for the Seahawks is at that center position. The You know that they love positional versatility. Zion Johnson, I think, would absolutely be among the the five biggest contenders for Seattle at 41 if he were indeed available.
0: That's going to be the issue. Is he going to be available? I just doubt it. I think at this point, with him showing he could play center in a pinch and a guy that has also started at left tackle and played at a high level in the ACC, I mean, this guy has played all over the line and he's a great prospect off the field to go with it. No baggage. He was a guy that started at Davidson. I don't know that he makes it, and that's why my offensive lineman I want to spotlight probably isn't going to be available for the Seahawks either. But there were not many linemen that stood out in that exhibition game on Saturday. It was really a defensive line-dominated contest, and you can see why with the depth there is at defensive tackle and defensive end in this group. But Trevor Penning, coming out of Northern Iowa, a player I talked about a little bit last week, I think he has solidified his standing. He might not be in the top 15 picks. But I think he's solidified his standing as being a late first round selection. And you saw the way that Spencer Brown, another Northern Iowa tackle, was able to jump right in as a starter for the Buffalo Bills, a team that nearly got to the AFC championship game this year. And he was on that line protecting Josh Allen. I think teams are going to be less scared to draft these really talented FCS players that are coming out of places like North Dakota State and Northern Iowa. They've proven they can develop offensive linemen. So, Penning, a big-bodied guy that's got light feet, can drive guys off the line of scrimmage. He looks like a really interesting prospect for the Seahawks. I just doubt that he is going to be available for them. And that's the issue when you don't have a first-round pick, though, right, Rob? Is there's always going to be players you're like, I'd love to see that guy be available. Probably not going to be unless somehow he doesn't have a very good combine, doesn't test well. Even then, with his film and what he did in Mobile, I expect that he's going to be a first at worst. Very early second round pick. Probably not going to be available to the Seahawks. We're going to shift our attention to the Seahawks. Makeover Monday coming up each week. We break down one topic of roster construction. And this week, we're going to be looking at the trade market. Really interested to see what Rob and I are going to be debating on this week. Coming up here in the next section. This is Corbin Smith with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called Get Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's absolutely no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out any to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Download the free GetUpside app today and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get 25 cents per gallon or more on your first tank. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen, five days a week. It's makeover Monday, as we do each and every Monday this offseason. Going to be breaking down a roster construction-related topic. We've looked at some free agency-related ones. We've looked at some cap, cap casualties Down the road, we'll look at the draft in this segment. But today, Rob, we're going to look at trades. Now, last week, we talked about all-in trades, what the Rams have done to build their championship contender, trading for players like Jalen Ramsey and Matthew Stafford. The Seahawks have done similar trading for Jamal Adams. Just hasn't been near as successful of a move, as what those two moves for the Rams were. But those aren't the only trades that can be made. You don't have to go all-in and give up first-round picks to get big-time talent, and John Schneider has been one of the best in the NFL when it comes to bargain hunting on the trade market. Quandre Diggs and Carlos Dunlap coming over in mid-season trades. I think the Jadeveon Clowney trade, even though it was a one-year rental, giving up a third-round pick, ended up being a very worthwhile trade. John Schneider knows how to play the trade market when it comes to those bargain deals, and interestingly, this year, Rob, even though the salary cap is going to jump back up to almost $210 million, there are three teams in the NFC in particular that are still in salary cap. Hell, I don't know what the New Orleans Saints are going to do. $75 million above the salary cap as of right now the green bay packers aren't much better 50 million and the dallas cowboys are 21 million over which compared to those other two teams it looks like they're in a pretty good financial situation so what we're going to talk about here real quick looking at these three teams the all all these teams have talent on their roster but they have to find a way to create some cap space and when they only have like a about a month or so here to try to create some of that cap space before the start of the new league year. That gives them little bargaining power trying to move some of these players. So if John Schneider decides, you know what, I'm going to make some calls with these three teams and see who I might be able to get from them for some value, there's a number of intriguing names, most notably with the New Orleans Saints.
1: Oh my goodness. The so New Orleans Saints have so many good players, but so many bloated contracts that somebody is going to get some steals. And, you know, as you talked about, um, you know, I mean, the Seahawks and John under John Schneider, a general manager, have really been one of the the better teams in terms of being able to kind of steal some some superstar players. Um, you know, you mentioned Quandre Diggs and Clowney. I mean, what about Dwayne Brown? Um, you know, the Houston Texans, and they kind of bent him over a barrel there and be able to get, uh, you know, a, a future pro or a, a Pro Bowl tackle for, you know, peanuts in the, uh, or nickels on the dollar, basically. So to me, that is one of the things that, uh, that John Schneider has absolutely been at his best at. And I would expect him to very much be having conversations with the New Orleans Saints. So, you know, if we were going to highlight a player that you'd be willing to maybe invest a first round pick in or something like that, then I, I think that you go for one of those, uh, you know, a, a cornerback like a Marshawn Lattimore, considering the the issues that Seattle has at that position, potentially with their own free agents. Maybe the edge rusher, Marcus Davenport, two young superstar caliber players. Maybe even the disgruntled wide receiver, Michael Thomas as well. But I think that you have to kind of – You know, maybe go with a veteran player that, uh, you know, that I think you still could be able to steal from the New Orleans Saints. They have invested an awful lot of selections in linebackers over the last couple of years. And meanwhile, they have one of the best in the game, in my opinion, certainly one of the most physical linebackers in the game, in Demario Davis. Now, I think if if Seattle retains Bobby Wagner, if we know what a young rising star that Jordan Brooks is, um, then maybe this isn't a position of concern. But I do think that linebacker could be a position of concern because, frankly, I do have some concerns about whether Seattle is going to be bringing back Bobby Wagner, at least at his current uh, contract. So if that is not the case, if the Seahawks do not have number 54 leading them in the middle, then the New Orleans Saints have a linebacker, Demario Davis, who I think would fit in with the nastiness, the physicality that Seattle would need to add to that position.
0: I put a poll up on our YouTube account as well as our social media accounts earlier today, Asking our listeners, which of these three teams would you be most intrigued to make a trade with? And not surprisingly, the New Orleans Saints were at 69% on over 950 votes. And it's because of their salary cap situation. And as you just mentioned, you just threw out a bunch of names there of guys with big contracts. And I can add to it, Ryan Ramchick at right tackle is somebody that could potentially be available just because they're so desperate for cap space. We're talking about players like Lattimore and Ramchick who just got signed to extensions in the last year or two, and they could be available because the saints have been going all in and just kicking money down the road. And now the time to pay that toll has arrived with no Sean Payton, no franchise quarterback, they are heading towards a rebuild. And so I think Marcus Davenport would be the player that I'm most intrigued by because you mentioned first round pick. I'm not giving up a first round pick for him. He's got one year left in his contract. He has had some injuries, did have nine sacks last year. I think when you look at the fact he's had some durability issues and he's got a fairly big contract still with one year left, you're going to be eating almost $8 million if you're the Seahawks. You trade a fourth round pick. Maybe you can give him a fourth and a seventh at most, but not giving anything more than that. I think the Saints would at least have to listen to that because it would create $8 million in cap space for them. And right now, that would sound pretty good with the cap number they've got being $75 million above the NFL's threshold. They're going to have to make some really difficult moves. And the Seahawks could bring in a 26-year-old former first-round pick that, yeah, he's had some durability issues, but when he's been healthy, has been very effective. And this would be a scheme that I think would fit him quite well. A few of our listeners chimed in on this as well. Chris Snape said Cameron Jordan for one of our fourth rounders. The big issue there is Cameron Jordan, his contract has been set up with restructures the last couple of years that they would only gain a million in cap space if he's traded before June 1st. Now, if you make the trade after June 1st, they would save a significant amount of money. But if you're wanting to make it before the draft, it wouldn't be worthwhile for the Saints. They would be eating a $20 million cap hit. So that's not happening. And Nick Doney said Alvin Kamara for a 2022 third and a 2023 fourth. That might have sounded good 48 hours ago, but now Alvin Kamara has been arrested for battery after the Pro Bowl. So that is probably not going to happen, at least for now. So I think that those two names can probably be thrown out to the side. But Marcus Davenport, maybe Demario Davis, Lattimore would save them a lot of money to trade him. I just think it would take more to get him if you're the Seahawks. Those are all names that would be intriguing. Let's move on to the Green Bay Packers now because they're $50 million in the red they do have the aaron Rodgers situation hovering over their head that's something the saints don't have at least the packers if they are willing to do it they could save a ton of money by moving aaron Rodgers to the denver broncos or whoever else may have interest but they have another number of other high-priced players that could be on the move just because out of necessity they need cap space they're in a really tough spot
1: they are a tough spot and and that is with devontae adams basically making nothing and, of course, he is going to get all kinds of, of money offered to him this year. So the, the Green Bay Packers, I, I don't know what they're going to do. One thing that it seems pretty clear is that they have three terrific pass rushers in Zadarius Smith, in Preston Smith, and in Rashawn Gary, and I don't know how you pay all three of those guys. Now, the only reason Zadarius Smith didn't get uh, a lot of playing time this year is he suffered a back injury, only played one game this season, but he was ready to play if the Green Bay Packers would have gone further into the playoffs. Of course, they did not, and so the fact that both Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith are making an awful lot of money and are older players than the former first-round pick homegrown guy Rashawn Gary then that's all the more reason why I think that the Packers may have to trade one of those pass rushers now the Packers do not want to trade pass rushers of that caliber to another team in the NFC that's a powerhouse has the quarterback that Seattle has but at the same time for the exact same reason you just talked about with the New Orleans Saints you just may not have very many options. You may have to go to the highest bidder. So Beggers I can't be think,
0: choosers here. You don't have a lot of time to work with.
1: Exactly, and I do think, of course, the John Schneider and his ties with the Green Bay Packers could make him that much better in in position to be able to make some type of a move. So I think that the Green Bay Packers and the or in the New Orleans Saints we just talked about are absolutely two of the teams that Seahawks fans should be looking at. Maybe licking their lips a little bit because there is talent to be had.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Preston Smith. He would save the Packers almost $13 million if they decided to trade him before June 1st. They would not save quite as much money with Zadarius Smith. The big issue with Zadarius Smith, the Seahawks would have to eat $15 plus million if they traded for him for next season. I don't think that John Schneider is going to be eager to do that. For a little less, they can have Preston Smith. They might be able to do an extension to lower that cap hit too after the trade. So I think Preston Smith could be a possibility Kenny Clark, the defensive tackle coming off his best year as a pass rusher, 13 quarterback hits, an outstanding player. He's got a fairly significant contract. They could open up 5 million trading him before June 1st. They could open up over 10 million if they wait till after June 1st, but he is a player that I think could be on the move. And if you want to go all in, Jair Alexander, their stud corner, only 24 years old. He's going to be having a fully guaranteed contract almost 14 million next year, 5th year option. You could maybe dangle a 2023 first-round pick if you felt like going all-in, and that might be a trade that you could justify because he is fantastic, and I think he'd be a good fit. But I would not expect that to happen. I think somebody like Preston Smith or Kenny Clark that you might be able to get for a day two or even early day three selection, given the money that you're going to be absorbing, I think those are the kind of deals that John Schneider is going to be looking for. Now, real quick, the Dallas Cowboys, you and I talked about it before the show, Uh, They have the third worst cap situation in the NFL, 21 million over the cap. We have seen teams in those type of situations use restructures and extensions and some cap casualties to make up that difference, and they're fine. But Dallas might have to move some players too. I just don't see any fits here necessarily that match up with what the Seahawks want and also fit in the price range they're looking for. Like You're not going to trade for Demarcus Lawrence right now. He's got a $29 million cap hit in 2023 you don't want to absorb that contract when he has not been overly productive the last three years since he got a new contract it just doesn't make sense and you don't need Amari Cooper with his inflated contract you're not going to be bringing him on Tyron Smith's an older player still a good left tackle but he's had some injuries Some speculated he was going to retire the last couple of years. That's not the kind of guy that you are trading for. It just doesn't seem like there are many names that make much sense when you look at Dallas, aside from Lyle Collins, the right tackle, who's still a fairly young player, an elite run-blocking right tackle, has some off-field baggage, but he would be the one guy that I would be willing to offer a day-two pick for if I could get him. You probably would have to wait till after June 1st, though, because that's the only time the Cowboys would save money trading him.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Lyle Collins would make a lot of sense from a schematic standpoint. I mean, just his size, his physicality, his versatility, lots of things there that, that make some sense in that regard. He does have some pretty troubling off field stuff going back to his, uh, college days even his high school days frankly um that that would you know warrant investigating um but at the same time there, there is one other player that i think that just because of the fact that uh that that digs had such a monster year for the dallas cowboys uh this past season with all those interceptions um then i i'm always been kind of intrigued by jordan lewis and he played a lot of nickel corner and, and nickel corner of course was a bugaboo for the seahawks uh at, at times over the last several years, um, and, and so to me, he would be one guy that maybe if you were willing to trade a middle or perhaps even a late-round section, it wouldn't do the Dallas Cowboys that much good. He's not he owed huge millions of dollars and things like that, but he is one of the few guys on the Dallas defense that I think is intriguing, and again, on the offensive side, you mentioned Tyron Smith. To me, left tackle is obviously still a position of concern for the Seahawks. You don't know how much longer to Dwayne Brown, if he is in fact going to come back, how much longer that he would play. So perhaps that is a, is a possibility, something to kind of kick the can on, but in terms of relatively young players, I think you can get relatively cheaply. Jordan Lewis to me would be one of the few guys in Dallas Cowboys. I think would make a lot of sense.
0: They just don't have a lot of players. They don't have a lot of assets that I think would be movable or that Jerry Jones is going to want to move that really makes sense for the Seahawks from an age and injury and position standpoint. The Packers and the Saints, on the other hand, as we've mentioned, a number of players stand out as players. If you can get them for the right price and not have to give up too high of a draft pick, then you may pull the trigger because they are game changers. They are guys that could instantly improve your football team. A lot of defensive guys for the Saints and Packers that could come in and help the Seahawks right away. So I'm not saying that there's going to be I'm not saying there's going to be any trades between John Schneider and Seahawks with any of these three teams, but certainly because of their salary cap situations, they should be monitored. These are teams that you should be monitoring closely to see if John Schneider reaches out and ends up pulling the trigger. If he's going to make a trade this time of year, I think those three teams, particularly the first two we discussed, would be the ones that would make the most sense because their cap situations and their desperation to move some players, move some veterans here this offseason. Thanks, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to make Locked on Bets your second listen. It's your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, And, of course, five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up on our Tuesday show, we're going to continue recapping the Senior Bowl, looking at some defensive players that stood out that might be potential Seahawks draft picks in April. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.